The Birth Circle podcast features experts in all the nuanced areas of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum with the aim of helping women make the choices that will keep them safe, healthy, and empowered. We respect all birth choices and believe in supporting informed consent and evidence-based practices. Nothing said on this podcast should be taken as medical advice. You should always seek the advice of a competent professional for your care. Welcome to the Birth Circle podcast. with Birth Circle, and I'm so excited today to have Jessica Diggs with me. Thank you for coming, Jessica. Thanks for having me. So Jessica is one of the most sought-after doulas and now midwife in the Los Angeles area in, and an education lead at Loom. It's Loom is a sexual and reproductive health education digital platform that empowers women through inclusive, non-judgmental information on their bodies. Jessica has also helped to create the Loom for its debut program, which focuses on pregnancy and postpartum topics and weaves together inclusivity, empathy, a science to create an, an informative and enjo enjoyable digital learning experience. She's a licensed midwife, and she's been a doula and reproductive health educator since 2012. She's built quite a reputation for excellence in supporting families through well-person care, home birth services, and conception support. I'm so excited to talk to you. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So first of all, how did you get into this earthy world? What was your, <laughs> yeah, I love this question because unlike many birth workers who got into it from their birthing experience, I don't have children. And I was actually 19 actively trying not to conceive. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. Um, so I just had questions about my body and my friends have questions about their bodies. And I was often the person that was doing the research for them. Um, and so I started out in a women's health information center, lending out books and doing tours of L and D. And that's where I learned about doulas and how they provide informational support and, physical support, emotional support to birthing people and their partners and support people. And I was like, I want to do that. I want to be that person. Yeah, there's the gateway right there. <laughs> I was like, I want to be all up in that. Um, and it also just like illuminated how little we knew about our bodies and how that continued into childbirth and the postpartum period and how it affected those experiences. Um, so I definitely took a more spin at education, mm -hmm. um, being a powerful tool in my doula practice, which led me to align with Erica Chitty, who's the CEO and co-founder of Loom. Um, and I taught at the brick and mortar when that was a, a thing. A thing. And, <laughs> yeah. and then as we made this transition into this digital platform, it was so easy to align with the bigger picture um, given my background and knowing that I was the person that we'll be marketing to from the um, birth control standpoint at 19 who doesn't want to get pregnant and from the sexual reproductive and intimacy standpoint and now supporting people in the pregnancy and postpartum I was like this this works this aligns I'm here for the entire yeah. reproductive spectrum the whole spectrum. So yeah, I mean, there are things that I didn't learn about my body until after I'd had several children. And it's just not okay that women don't know about their bodies. So what were some of the early things that you were learning that you were telling your friends? Yeah, um, one of the main ones that's really important is that you can't get pregnant the entire cycle. Like, 
knowing when to be most cautious around preventing a pregnancy is so mm-hmm. helpful and so freeing to your sexual experience when you realize, oh, not every sexual encounter can conceive a child. You know what? And Why aren't we taught that really, really young? Seriously. I know. I know it's... when I conceived my first child, we just tried for a month straight because I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then it's like, it's tools for whether you're trying not to, and then that same information can be helpful when you are actually actively trying to conceive. Um, and that was one of my main things that I talked to with friends who were like, oh my God, the condom broke. Oh my God, this did happen. And I was like, well, were you ovulating? Were you in that fertile window? And they're like, no, I just finished my spleed or whatever. That's like, highly likely that you're not pregnant, but here are some things we can do. Um, and that was just freeing for college when you're like, I just want to have fun and not to see a child. <laughs> yes. Here's well, the yeah, liberation. And, and just, yeah, the, I was going to say, that's a great word, liberation. And understanding your body is freedom, not being yes. trapped in this unknown and, you know, be, basically being susceptible, susceptible to any, like, yeah, any encounter being a frightening experience. Yeah. Pregnant. Exactly. Okay. So you were the... You were the know-it-all in the group and had all the answers for all the things. And then you became a doula. And then when were the seeds of loom kind of conceived? When did that all start? Because not everybody who's a doula and a know-it-all becomes the, you know, the producer of this amazing program. Yeah, well... Um, once I got planted in LA, my doula career just took off. I expanded into childbirth education, teaching at various locations in Los Angeles. And I actually met Erica, the CEO and mastermind behind Loom, um, at an event where we were both facilitating something um, at this adolescent pregnancy event. We hit it off and really aligned on um the fact that there isn't just quality education that is super inclusive and inclusive from like who is showing up. So the birthing people, their families, um, inclusive to the queer community that is um, you're seeing a representation of all Los Angeles families, but also inclusive to the fact that birth happens in so many different ways and there shouldn't be a stigma and a shame around how your baby exits your body. Um, And we just kind of hit it off around like we really aligned as doulas. We're like, yeah, I support scheduled C-sections all the time. I'm supporting these inductions. I'm supporting these home births, um, et cetera. And how we talked about information how we delivered it to people was just like spot on that she told me about her idea and what she was building and we hit it off from there and I was involved in the brick and mortar space in Los Angeles from the very beginning I taught a lot of their pregnancy our prepped classes um and then when she raised the money for this digital platform. Um, I was like, I'm on board, 100% aligned. Let's do this um, and have been a part of the education team building out the content for the pregnancy and uh, postpartum program. Awesome. So you mentioned that you met at an adolescent pregnancy event. Can you tell me what what are the markets, what are the, the groups that you feel are the most underserved in this birth world? Oh, 
I would say definitely our teen parents. Um, there's not a lot of content created for them or created with this understanding that they're capable, capable, competent parents. Yeah, already. yeah. Talk more like, about that. Like, what are some of their biggest challenges, and where where do they shine maybe differently than other groups of parents? Yeah, I would say bigger challenges is understanding their needs and creating conversation for what they're hoping to see in their family unit that may differ from their current ones because they're actively still typically maybe living with family or living at home and trying to create something different. And oftentimes adolescent parents are, I'm always learning so much from them of how they're actively trying to parent differently than they have potentially was parented. Mm. Um, it's fascinating to watch them thrive and, um, be so intentional about their birth and their and their pregnancy and their parenting experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say areas in which um, they they have such strength is that they are big sponges and mm. lived experiences have um, has its place and it so, brings so much wisdom, but also just continuing to be a sponge and like taking what you feel and moving through it without a lot of attachment. Teens tend to thrive in that, whereas yeah, others are like point. trying to fit into a box that they already lived, you know, already fit into. That's a really interesting observation. I can see that. So a lot of teen moms, um, well, a lot of teen parents, they're judged for their age and that this would have been a mistake. But mm-hmm. are you seeing that a lot of teen parents want to start their families young or the, and they actually have more support from their parents, grandparents, friends, family, or are you going up against that battle as well? Um, I don't necessarily know if I'm seeing, I think unplanned pregnancy is um apparent across all ages yeah um, oh, it's so true it's it like really true. It's, but, but an unplanned pre- um pregnancy at 30 when you're on your own is a lot different than when you're 17 and your parents think that they can or they actually legally can control what happens right so I don't know I am a product of a teen pregnancy and I'm freaking amazing so yeah, yeah. I well, know yeah, like no. I don't know I think um, I think that there is that exception that you're in a different place to parent because you're older or because you have an X circumstance or things. And I think that definitely pulls people who are low income or just um, disadvantaged from socioeconomic systems as mm. a deficit when that's not true. I, I, okay, I love that perspective because it's, I mean, we wouldn't judge two 30-year-olds in very different life circumstances, but then we would judge a teen. And so you're basically just saying the age is just a, one of, another one of those factors that shouldn't play um, a role in no, in care and outcome and in parenting mm-hmm. experience. Um, I think everyone has something to learn, which is why we create this platform and this education and this experience is because I feel like if you're moving through pregnancy postpartum, there is so much to take in and to apply what you already know about yourself and what you're wanting for yourself. That's some circumstances are just irrelevant and true healthcare comes from what you already know and then what you're willing to learn. Oh, that's good. That's a quote right there. Wow. <laughs> so good. So um, you, you mentioned they're like sponges. So the, the difference that a platform like Loom could make in their life is monumental. It's bigger than sometimes others. 
could yeah, yeah it's empowering um I think in any pregnant person and any person in general willing to uh, move through um the information I think education has the potential to be so impactful because it not only shares your options but we've created a platform that also um helps you facilitate conversations when you don't know and I think that's the big piece oh, that, like that particularly as a woman being able to identify your needs or know how to facilitate conversation around your needs is a game changer and just getting them met and getting care whether it's from your partner your parents your chosen family or your actual providers um education has the ability to empower you to understand those needs or to facilitate conversation around them I love that so it's not just learning for yourself but it's learning how to get your needs met Yes. learning how to express them because how do you know you want something if you don't know about it but then how do you ask for it once you know you want it exactly wow exactly. and how to ask in a way that's most likely to I mean I love the inclusivity and all of the but the reality is there are providers and there are people that will never get it and never get what you want they will never understand why you want it and to be able to ask for it in a way that's most likely to get what you need because yep. ultimately what matters most is you and your baby right and that yep. you get the care that you need. Exactly. And that's the systemic change is at the end of the day, the consumer, because healthcare is a, is a business, the consumer is the birthing person. And to know where we need to change the system comes from them knowing what they want. And healthcare, health education gives them the tools to actually know and identify what it, it is that they want. I love it. I always said, if 10,000 women march themselves to the local hospital, we have a very high birth rate where I live mm -hmm. and 10,000 women this next year, march themselves to the hospital and said, I would not, I, you know, I refuse, uh, I would like delayed cord clamping and, um, you may not cut the cord. You may not, um, amputate an, uh, an organ from my body without my permit, you know, like if, if, if everybody made a stink about it for a year and it's not just this, but then policies would change. Mm -hmm. But just wanting your court delayed cord clamping doesn't mean you're actually going to get it unless you can effectively ask for it. And this is a personal story of mine because I wanted it so badly and asked mm -hmm. for it, but I didn't ask for it in a way that really expressed how important it was. And so I didn't get it. And I think it was just merely the way I asked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are some of the other groups that um, Loom serves specifically? Yeah, um, Loom is all about being your body partner. And so for women, for- Whoa, whoa, say it again. To be your body partner? Mm -hmm, to come Ooh. alongside your journey through every sexual reproductive health event. Like one person can have all the events, trying not to conceive, conceiving, being pregnant, birth, postpartum, menopause, that one woman can move through all of those things. Yep. And so we want to be a part of that journey. Um, so really, um, really moving with women, really being inclusive to our queer community, really feeling, making sure black and brown people feel seen and in content and representation and marketing. Um, and then in just relevant experience being that our CEO is a black queer person and our, our people on our team identify as black and queer. It's just, we want to make sure we're capturing the full experience of a person um, through their sexual reproductive health. So give me some examples of experiences that are kind of off the, 
I mean, maybe start with what we assume would be a normal experience and then give us some examples of experiences that would not normally be seen as normal, but are really still normal. Does that make sense? No. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll give you the example. For me. Okay. Yep. Yep. So, um, so say we assume that the, a normal birth is a heterosexual married couple and they got pregnant on a timeline, they wanted to get pregnant, and then they go in and they were treated a certain way. We obviously know that that is not the highest. I mean, that's not what most pregnancies are. And yet we still try to treat every pregnant person as if they came from that background, right? Mm -hmm. And so I just want to talk, I just want to highlight more specific stories. Because you say, doesn't matter how your baby comes into this world, But honestly, some people can't imagine their creative ways that people bring. Like I have a friend who surrogated for a gay couple and she had triplets after she had her own triplets and Mm -hmm. her story, like people like just watch her TikTok. Well, it's actually the dad's TikTok channel, like their freak shows, you Mm -hmm. know, and I'm like, this is just a story. This is just how they built their family. So that's kind of what I wanted to kind of have you more examples of these beautiful stories. I think we are, um, between the team, we've experienced and supported so many different types of families throughout our, our careers, um, from choice parents, single moms by choice, um, to um, queer families, two dads, two moms, um, poly families, like a lot of different varying families. Um, I think what the platform does well is that you don't have to move through it in order or um, on this roadmap that we've created. We have that tool for those who want it, but for the most part, it is asynchronous. It is on your own path and it really does allow you to see your family um, and to see your choices as you want it and to get the information that you want to like we're not going to be handholding adults in that way um, I've seen just so many people um, move through experiences that is so unique to them that it's hard to even put into words like um, two moms where I've supported one uh, as a caring parent one year and then 18 yeah. months later supported the other as one of my friends parent. did the same thing she's like I had no idea how much she was the mom or the birthing person most of the time and then she supported her wife and she's like mm-hmm. I had no idea how birth partners are treated so poorly yeah and like <laughs> in that situation it's like two very different sets of birth preferences and then the second time around it's like you're wanting to say things like you your second time parent which you are but you're a first time birthing person and the bodily sensations that come up for this person you have to kind of really um make sure you go back to being a unique experience because they have never been pregnant before even though they have a child and then the second time around where the partner is still breastfeeding their child there's just other considerations for breaks and how I support them as a doula that I didn't have to have the first birth because that partner wasn't pregnant or wasn't postpartum. Um, and so that experience was so different um, two times over for the same family that I had rapport with. Yeah, and wow. I had experience like with. Yeah. Um, and that happens time and time again. I'm trying to think of, um, and I have like 
choice parents where I've been involved with their entire preconception experience. So I was there for the IUI or there for the acupuncture and they finally conceive and then get to move through the birth with them. Um, I've had one where her partner was not the biological dad and didn't want to be an active parent, but she wanted her boyfriend. And we like little things like making sure that we help them facilitate conversation with the um, hospital so that they aren't um, uh, mislabeling this male person in the room as dad when he doesn't identify as dad of this baby. And it was like explicitly wow. having to repeat, no, this is John for it. it's not his name, but like, this is John, not dad, <laughs> you know, John does not want to cut the cord because John is not this dad, you know? So we have to keep like, as a doula and as a support and person, like keep educating said, back, the team. Back to that communication thing, what you want and being able to effectively communicate it to the birth providers. Yeah. Wow. And with tools like this platform, you get to identify what are going to be triggers in your birthing experience. Like that was very triggering for we're going to use John, not his name, to wanting to be present for this person he loved, but not for this baby. And it was very important for him to be named by his name and not as dad. And very important for her to fully have the experience for herself and her body and not be, not to be split between her and John, which is like he had no say in for newborn procedures or whatever the case mm-hmm. is. Yeah. I once attended a birth. It was a, it was an adoption and her partner, not the biological father was there and supported her amazingly through the whole thing as she placed. And it was so cool to see how the hospital actually did. They, they got on the, they got on that method or that, that communication really quick and they treated him with such grace that he was a full part of the birth team, but they never Mm. called him dad. They never Mm -hmm. asked him to do any of those roles. And Mm -hmm. it was just cool to see how that yeah, so exactly what you're saying with with good communication with people who are understanding that mm-hmm. birth looks different and the people that birth look different all the time. Oh, I love yeah. it. I love it. I love it. Okay, so um, tell me more about um, why, well, we've talked about the education, but what specifically, like you start A with body, I mean, understanding how your body works. So do some of the women that come through your program not even know really how they got pregnant? Are you that basic? Oh, she's making a face. <laughs> oh dear. For sure. <laughs> All right. So tell me, kind of lead me through the curriculum. What types of things do you cover? Yeah. Um, we are covering everything in the pregnancy and postpartum program. It is like the first few weeks, every bodily sensation that is very common. You want to touch on it. Some unique things like um, gums bleeding to yeah. some of the more common things. <laughs> yeah, I had a person who like had so much excessive slava during her pregnancy, like uh-huh. spitting into a water bottle. Like that was her entire experience. And we're like, I had, I had boogers. I had, like, <laughs> I had boogers. I was like, I can't. They say you can smell really well when you're pregnant. I couldn't. I had so many boogers. <laughs> yeah, and I had no idea. I had no idea. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating what people don't realize is normal. And I say it all often. Unfortunately, this is common. So yeah, it is covering things, bodily sensations from the first few weeks throughout the pregnancy and then into the postpartum. And those are broken down into different modules um, because there are different just spaces that you occupy occupy in that entire journey. 
Um, we're covering things from the mindset perspective, decision fatigue, like how all, many things you have to have a response decision to fatigue. and like now, uh, oh. yeah. Can I just make an observation about, and you said this before, you said you want to be with them and uh, like to be with your body during the whole pregnancy. So instead of being an educational platform, this is my observation from just knowing you for the last mm-hmm. half an hour, is that instead of teaching you about your body, you are really teaching them to be in their body and what to be a partner with their body. I mean, I just love that phrase, be a partner with your body. And that this is a conscious choice to partner with your body because you said mindset now. So that's an example of how you would take, you would consciously take your mind and your body and make them one, right? Or ask them to be one (laughs) and find the resources you need to make them one, right? Because there's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of triggers. There's a lot of things that happen in your mind that feel like they're outside of your bodies. Yes. I mean, many trauma responses feel outside of your body. So we've created content that helps people one identify because oftentimes they don't realize what's happening or how it's showing up in their body and their experience, giving them tools to move through it, giving them tangible tools to resolve it and actually cope with it from, we have a lot of sensory integration techniques from vagal toning um, to naming, to creating little collective care maps um, and comfort measures and all the things that they can like visually see someone move through and then moving that into the postpartum experience, like seeing someone care for a baby with a live baby um, and talking through your emotional landscape. Yeah, it's like, um, I'm pretty sure like the baby in the videos was like two weeks old, he looks gigantic, but he is very new baby. And it's like, no, you can be a little bit more like firm with this particular thing. And like, he won't break. Um, and it, letting someone actually see that and experience that and then apply it to their own lives and take what's relevant and what's not. Like leave what's not. We have no stake in what you don't want to know or what you don't think is relevant to your pregnancy. And that can actually really ease the stress of knowing all the things. If you go in there just knowing we're going to give you everything, just take what you want and leave the rest. It's not like you have to eat the entire buffet table, right? You only pick the things that work for you. And talk more about the decision fatigue. How do you coach your, your parents through that. Cause that's a big, and then not only the decision fatigue, but then also the communication fatigue. Cause we talked about how, if you want to get something that you want to get, you have to communicate it effectively. So the care provider gets what you want, but it gets really, really tiring and really exhausting to repeatedly ask for something again and again and again. And it's like, do you just make a t-shirt? Do you put it on your forehead? <laughs> yeah. Um, decision fatigue is a concept by Alexandra Sachs and we there's a conversation in the platform with um, them talking about this but we talk about it um, in our kind of smaller community gather um, experience that we host for people who bought the product Um, we kind of break it down to there's so many things you're going to be having to make a um, decision about. And there's so much information from there's like 15,000 strollers to their, which hospital, which thing do you need to do this? Do you, will you um, circumcise? Will you like all the things that everyone's like, are you going to do this as soon as the bump bump is visible? Um, We tend to like help people scale back on that and really align with like your already your existing lifestyle 
your lived experience, and then what you're ultimately wanting to feel in this experience. Not necessarily specific outcomes, but like specific oh. feelings, specific experiences that you oh, want. Good. Give us some examples. Yeah, like um, instead of being like, I don't want... Um, I want delayed cord clamping. Some, yeah, similar to your experience of like, I want delayed cord clamping. Um, and instead of like just that, it's like, okay, under what circumstances would that I not be able to well, have this? Well, the reason I how- wanted it is because I have big babies and I know the they get squeezed and I wanted him just to have a second to just compose himself before entering mm-hmm. this planet. That's what mm-hmm. I wanted. It's not so much about the cord. It wasn't a religious cord. It wasn't like it was the, the cord. It was the outcome I was after. Yeah. And like making sure people know why behind it and fully understand that. And then also know how to help, how do we cope if this isn't attainable for insert reason, or how do we communicate to you that this, this has been done. You can trust that we've done our delayed quick clamping and this is, we're moving to the next thing now. And I think people want to feel seen and heard and as competent parents, especially since they're going to leave with this child, um, in a few hours to days, you know, um, and involved. And so we want to be a part of that process of like helping you identify your needs, helping you communicate them and helping them actually be a part of your, your lived experience. I love it. I love it. Why do we take away the right to be birthing people and then send them home with a newborn? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, we do. <laughs> a lot of things that don't make sense. Okay. So how do you, how does Loom support the birth partner? And the birth partner doesn't necessarily have to be the other parent that who identifies as parent. It could be mom, grandma, best friend, who, who is there supporting the birthing person, right? Yeah. How, how do you teach them, support them? Yeah. Um, I love this. I love including partners and chosen families. Um, I think we all move from a place, everyone creating this product that we know birth, we know reproductive health, but you as a partner or chosen family know the intended like birth part person better and well, and really playing up on that strength. Um, so we've created many of the modules also have like a little note that says, this is a great one for a partner or chosen family to watch, uh, whether they watch it with you or they watch it on their own this is helpful. And we move from a place of just normalizing um, certain reproductive experiences so that they can just have that information to also explicitly giving them tools to be actively involved. And I think that's the two big pieces for a partner or a birthing support person is you want to normalize what the experience is. Say it is the birth, say it is the fertility treatment, like normalizing and understanding what the experience is, is go, could look like, and then having tools of how to support the person as they move through it. Um, and our classes do that. Um, and then it just makes everyone an active participant, um, giving you tools to meet the needs of the birthing person or the person moving through the fertility treatment or abortion or menopause, but also um, making sure you can use those same tools to get your needs met because birth is not an isolated event. Like it is very communal. It affects us all. Mm-hmm. And so even also given the partner tools to be like, I need to ask the provider this question about newborn procedures. Cause like it is our baby or I want to, um, 
do some vagal toning for myself because I am having a very regulated, act, activated experience and I need to like downregulate in the middle of this like induction or whatever the case is. So I think the mm. tools also applicable to support people um, and doulas and other people if they actually watch it and move through the material. Got it. Okay. So when you, cause you keep saying normalize and you've said it a million times this episode <laughs> and it, it's kind of funny that we're normalizing something that's super normal, but when you say normalizing, you're meaning not taking it for granted, but taking down the anxiety of the situation. Like you're saying, just taking that down that vagal response, taking down, like not feeling like everything's a flight or fight about it. Yes. Is that what you mean when you're saying normalizing? Exactly. Yes. I think the scariest part of particularly reproductive health experiences is that we don't have shared stories. Like we've lost the art of storytelling and the um, um, like uh, generational wisdom from birth to menopause to infant feeding. Yeah. Like that is something we lost yeah. because oftentimes the first birth we're experiencing is our own or the first time we are seeing someone breastfeed specifically is our own experience. Like it, all of these things have been, um, kind of hidden, uh, mostly because there's not been a space for education around it. Mm-hmm. And no one cared about women's health and women's education. So it breeds a lot of room for anxiety and fear because it's all uncertain. Um, mm-hmm. Like myself, as a person who's been to over 500 births, like childbirth is not scary to me. There's not an aspect of it that is scary, mm-hmm. even the complications. And it's just because I got to witness it so many times mm-hmm. that. I'm no longer afraid of it. Um, there's moments of like, who it will be new to me and it'd be exciting to move through it, but it's not a, it's not from a place of fear at all. Yeah. Yep. Um, and that's what I mean with normalizing. When we can normalizing, normalize the experience of menopause, it's less scary to move through <laughs> menopause when we can normalize the experience of childbirth and interventions, um, like a mm-hmm. cesarean birth, when we can walk through what to expect, it reduces harm, it reduces trauma, um, and it creates better outcomes. And not yeah. just like physical outcomes, but like your actual narrative around childbirth. Yeah. Well, I love how you're saying normalizing pregnancy will then lead to normalizing menopause. How about normalizing the first period, normalizing, you know, like just normalizing. And you said that at the beginning, like the entire spectrum of the experience of the female body just needs to be normalized. (laughs) Yes. Like it it would reduce so much anxiety Mm -hmm. and create such a different reaction to our bodies Mm -hmm. um, to know that this bleed is normal this bleed is not normal Um, this is common that people experience and this like just the anxiety that people have when they have a clot for the first time it's just like oh this is what this means this is when Mm -hmm. this is no longer abnormal this is when you get a provider involved so don't you look forward to the day where your work is totally obsolete and your granddaughters are like what the heck was grandma doing but I just think like with this information, what other choice, what other choices would we make differently in our lives? What other, like, how would we think differently about other things, politics, uh, you know, um, environmental issues, if we simply had this, I love going big, you're fun to go mm-hmm, big with, mm-hmm, but like, mm-hmm. if we simply just had this normalization around our bodily functions, like, it would change <laughs> everything. Like everything, specifically for women to be empowered in their own bodies is revolutionary. Mm -hmm. It is just revolutionary. It would change how we do all aspects of life. Like one micro example is when 
and with whom we procreated with. Like if we normalize gifting our daughters um, egg freezing at 18 so that they didn't live the next 15 years trying to make sure they didn't do the wrong thing to not end up with a partner and have a baby by 35 and all, if they didn't live with that biological clock, it would change the world. It would mm-hmm. make different decisions. It would. It would like change. As a small example, they yeah. would make decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very fascinating. Wow. Okay. So tell us, um, thank you so much. This has been so fascinating. Tell us, tell us how we can get involved with Loom and all the ways people can get in contact with you. Yeah, so um, Loom is a website platform at the moment, um, app to come. You can go to loomhq.com and sign up for the pregnancy and postpartum program. Um, You can follow us on Instagram where we're always posting Loom lexicon and history and just good engaging content. It's like um, the 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 buffet. Yeah, the buffet. Productive health Mm -hmm. experience. Um, Yeah, it's so fun to watch uh, people engage there. But right now on the on the website, um, the pregnancy and postpartum platform is live and ready for people to engage. And it's like 50 plus modules, videos, audio, audio guides um, that you can move through at your own pace for your entire pregnancy and postpartum experience. You can watch stuff while you're pregnant for the postpartum and then come back to it while you're postpartum as a refresher. You can print out the collective care guide and kind of like put it on your fridge for who's doing what to take care of you. You can track feeding. Collective care guide. You have so many like ways of saying things that are just lovely. Collective care. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Instead of calling it a postpartum plan, it's a collective care. It's a collective care guide. It's so many moving pieces to this experience that we want to make sure you're building a good care team. And like, that's what it is at the end of the day. It's a care team for you um, that includes your baby and your partner and your providers and all the people and family. And you know Um, what? Here's the cool thing is that not, so some people are like, oh, I don't want people, I don't want to be a burden. I want, I don't want people to feel like they have to take care of me. But with your, your collective care guide, the whole message around even picking those words is that you get cared upon and then later you care upon someone else like this is the community this is the yes it's something you can easily Mm -hmm. give back to someone and be like yes I took care you took care of me in this way and I can take care and I always tell postpartum parents specifically mothers who don't want to ask for help asking for help from another mother another woman is such a different experience because either they had it or they wish they had and they are yes. dying to give yes. it to someone else yes. like they are just dying to give it to <laughs> there's someone one else. of two responses yeah I didn't get like, it and I'll give it to you <laughs> exactly and so I'm always like let your community be your community like they are there mm-hmm. for a reason and they want to and how they can help may be different which is why that collective care guide asks specific questions and makes people like play up on their strengths versus yep. help from a place that they're not strong in I but love yeah. that yeah. And instead of, um, you know, making this whole birth experience, a hazing experience, because there's some that are like, oh, well, my birth was awful, or I didn't get the help. So you should be able to, I did it on my own. You should be able to do it on your own. But the way you're approaching it is not from a trying to, trying to um, fix that mentality, but from an openness. And this is what I would love. And the people that are going to be part of my space that need to be part of my space are going to come to me and we're going to take care of each other. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Thank you so much for your time and head over 
find them loom on all of the platforms thank you so much thank you Please visit us at birthcircle.com, join our Facebook groups, or find us on Instagram and Pinterest. We hope you'll use our resources to support your birthing experience.